long time ago, I'm not going to say how long, but it'll come out probably. I was a fourth grader. I was a fourth grader at uh, Lafayette Elementary School in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana, southern Indiana. Not far from Louisville, Kentucky, just across the river. Lafayette Elementary School had a basketball team. All the schools in Indiana have basketball teams. It's a way of life there. We were the Lafayette Golden Bears. They had brand new uniforms. They were gold. Man, they were cool uniforms. They, uh, they were bright gold. I should specify that Jan would say it's yellow and she's right, but, but we called it, we were the Golden Bears. They were gold uniforms. They were cool. They were bright gold. They had black and, black and white stripes down the side. They were just really cool. And the team was pretty good, too. The team was made up of fifth and sixth graders. And, um, well, they were good. They had played, I don't know, two, three, four games. I don't remember. But I remember one time, one day we were at recess, and, and uh, me and a bunch of guys would always shoot baskets, you know, in the gym. And the principal, Mr. Barnett, he pulls me aside. He says, I want you to suit up for the next game. I said, what? I didn't know what suit up meant, you know. And, and he, he says, well, I, you know, he explains, he says, dress for the next game, I want you to be part of the team. Well, yeah, that means I get to wear the gold uniform. That's cool. So I remember, I, I don't know what process I had to go through, but probably had to check with mom and dad, make sure it was okay. Must have been because I remember going to the gym, you know, going to, uh, for the next game and went into the locker room and Mr. Fry, the coach, he says, uh, there's your uniform, suit up. I knew what that meant that time. <laughs> and, and so I got, got to wear the uniform. The game started. I don't remember the warm-ups. <laughs> but the game started, and I remember sitting at the end of the bench. I mean, I'm a fourth grader. You know, this, is, these, this is the fifth and sixth graders thing, you know. But, but I was sitting at the end of the bench with a third grader who was also asked to dress for the game, Fred Curry. And we were sitting at the bench. We weren't paying attention to the game, I can tell you that. Uh, we were pretty, having a pretty good time there, there, you know, as third and fourth graders might be doing. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and says, uh, hey, coach is trying to get your attention. Um, I looked over, sure enough, Coach Fry was looking right at me. And um, he wants me to go in the game. I didn't know that was part of the deal. I wasn't planning to go in the game. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> Didn't go in the game. Probably should have been kicked off the team, but 
I wasn't. Um, but so, question is, how productive, how productive was I to that team at that point? Well, that's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? Zero. Wasn't productive at all. I actually told the coach no. I still can't believe I did that. But here's what this is all leading up to. What about us as Christians? How, how productive are, are we as members of the Lord's team? How productive? You know, is productive, being productive even an expectation as Christians? Is everybody expected to be or produce the same productivity? Do we all need to elevate our productivity? Is it something that we should be concerned about? Is it something that we should be looking at uh, in terms of our, our work as, what, what, uh, as being a, a member of the Lord's church? And how do we improve our productivity if it is something that we should be doing? These are all questions that I want to look at here over the next few moments um, uh, this morning. I believe the scriptures answer all these questions very effectively. I want to talk about being a productive Christian this morning. And I'm going to let Jesus really do the work because he's got all the answers to this. And we'll look at several parables uh, this morning. And, and one of them, the first one I was going to look, I'm going to look at, was actually pre presented by uh, Zach on Wednesday night. If you were here Wednesday, he talked about uh, the, the parable of the talents. And actually, when you start talking about productivity, that's a pretty obvious place to go. Of course, the parable of the talents, you know, talents, it, it, in the English language, it makes sense because, um, you know, talents have to do with ability and so on, but that's not what that means. You know, a talent in the scripture here is talking about a, 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 a weight measure of some maybe gold or silver. So what does it mean when it says a talent? And, and how do we get the perspective of what this is talking about? Um, a talent, I, I looked up several things, you know, and it talks about the units of measure, but, but when it gets down to the brass tacks, what it means, a talent is talking about 15 years, 15 years of wages for, uh, for the average worker in that time, a talent's a pretty large amount of, of money. And so, with that in mind, this is a story that Jesus used as a parable to, to get, make a point, okay? And so, you, you've got all this information that he's going to give us, and, and he's talking about a, a sum of money, and, and what he's doing is spreading out. It, it, his story talks about a man who's going on a, on a long journey. Okay, he's going to go on a long journey. He must be wealthy because he's got a lot of stuff to give to some of his servants. And he distributes it, five talents to one, 70 years of uh, productivity. For, that's, a, that's a lot. You know, I don't know if we really see that when we see five talents. That's a lot that he's given to this, this one servant. Another one he gives two. And another one he gives one. Now, the first thing you might say is, well, why is this master spreading, the, 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 you know, spreading it out this way? Why isn't he doing it even? Well, I think we need to understand something. In this story that Jesus tells, he builds something into it. 
The reason why you have the different amounts is because he gives it to them according to their ability. And that answers the question because we're not, not all expected to do the same thing because we have different talents, different abilities, different capabilities. And this is a, a story that Jesus is telling to make a point, and he builds that into the story. So we know that he understands, that God understands that we all have different talents. For example, Sean is usually up here. There's a reason why he's up here and I'm not. Okay, uh, So we have different talents. But we all have talents. We all have abilities. And we use them. So in this parable, he spread out these, these talents. He gives one five, one two. And, and, and so let's look at it this way. He gives the one five. And then when, when the master returns, he talks to him about it. He says, okay. And, and, and the, 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 the servant says, here, I have a five extra talents. He's done a lot with that uh, money that was given to him. He's done a lot. Uh, and, and then the response from the master is, well done, good and faithful servant. And the same thing with the two. He's given two more talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. Then he comes to the one with the one. And we know what he did. He buried it. When he had received it, he went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Again, remember, Jesus is telling this story. And I think it's real interesting to note the response that the, uh, the master has for this particular servant that he gave the one talent. He says, you wicked and lazy slave. Those are strong words. But I think that the indication here is how important it is to God that we're productive with what he gives us. We are expected to be productive with what we have, what we're able to do in service to the Lord. Then there's the parable of the sower. Again, a very familiar one. It talks about a sower who spreads seed. And some of it goes onto the roadside. It gets trampled on and, and eaten by birds and so on. Some of it goes into the rocky soil. It springs up, the crop springs up, but the ground is, is, has no moisture, it's rocky. And so the, the, the crop dries, or dies quickly. And then there's the thorny soil. And it talks about uh, those, those plants spring up, but they're choked out by weeds and they're not productive. And then there's the good soil, where the, the, the crop is fantastic because it's good soil and it grows quickly and it, it, it yields a hundredfold um, in, in the crop. So that's the, that's the parable that, that Jesus tells but what happens then is people say, well, the disciples say, well, explain this to us. What, what, are you, what are you telling us? And so Jesus does. He explains what all this means. And the, the key is the fact that the, the, the seed is the word of God. The soil is the people that the word of God is being spread to. Okay, so we know with the roadside, the, the, the seed, uh, the, that uh, describes the people who heard the word, but Satan immediately took it away from them, and they were never saved. They, they never accepted the word. They never, they never were saved. The rocky soil are people that receive the word, and they receive it with joy, uh, uh, Jesus says. They receive it with joy, but temptation comes. Satan brings temptation, and, and, and they, they lose their enthusiasm, and they, they fall away. 
I want to focus on the thorny soil and the good soil. I remember when Sean took to, talked about this particular parable. He brought up something that, I don't know, I hadn't thought of, I guess. I had, somehow I missed it. But, but when he talked about the thorny soil, I think maybe most of us, at least I did, you know, the thorny soil is also describing somebody who's fallen away. But that's not what it says at all. Luke 8, 14, it says, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. It didn't say they fell away, does it? What it's saying is that, okay, you've put the uniform on, but you've been distracted. You're not paying attention to the game. You're sitting at the end of the bench and not paying attention to the game. What's happened is the cares of life have become more important than the cares uh, of, uh, of the Lord. The concern about riches, the pleasures of life, have choked out our ability to be productive. And the thorny soil is talking about us and our unproductivity. That's interesting. I had not seen that before. Thank you, Sean, for pointing that out. The good soil is where we want to be, right? The, the good soil is absolutely where we want to be because uh, Jesus says that the seed, the, the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. That's talking about being productive, isn't it? So here we have another parable that Jesus, Jesus points out uh, by telling us a short story that points out how it's important for us. It is important to be productive. And then there's the story of the two foundations. And, and again, this is a, a very familiar one. Uh, it's, it's found in uh, Matthew chapter 7. You know, we know the song as kids uh, about the, uh, the wise man who built his house on the rock. The foolish man who built his house on the sand. You know, what happens when the storm comes. But note something. This parable <clears throat> is found at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7. It's the last thing. In fact, when, when, when Jesus gets done with this, he's done with his sermon. It's over. So note what he says. In Matthew 7 verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine, now we're talking about the words that he's been speaking in the, in the Sermon on the Mount that started in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, starts with, those, with, with the uh, um, Beatitudes. Jesus gives all kinds of information in, uh, uh, regarding what he wants us to understand about, about his words about, uh, and comparing to the old law and, and so on. There, there's just a ton of information. Chapter 6 talks about uh, how, we, how we live our lives and how we should think about our lives and, and uh, not worry and, and to, to be productive. And, and he, he talks about, um, uh, in, in, in verse 33, he talks about uh, seeking first the kingdom of God. These are all things that are, that are built into the, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end, he's saying, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that describes the wise man. When you build your house on that, on, on the, the teachings of Jesus, 
you are built on a good foundation and you're doing something about it, you're, you're following those words, uh, you're becoming a productive person based on those words, that describes the wise man. When the storm comes, when the rains come, when the winds come, the house stands. But the other foundation, Jesus says everyone who hears these words, the same words that he's talking about of mine and does not act on them, that's the foolish man, right? Because when the storms come, the house collapses. So, again, the key is Jesus is saying, here's my words, and we can, we can look back on it. We have all of the words of Jesus, and we have all the teachings of the inspired apostles and, 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 and uh, Bible writers. Uh, so we have a lot of information. The wise man is the one who acts on them, who is productive who does something with that information. All of this information, these three parables, tell us how important it is to be productive, to be a productive Christian. Now I'm going to go to one that might throw you off a little bit, the, the rich young ruler. Probably not something that we would look at necessarily talk thinking about productivity, but, but stick with me. I, I think maybe you'll see my point here. The, rich, the, the story of the rich young ruler is found in three of the four Gospels. I want to look at the one in, in Mark chapter 10 because there's something that he puts in his, in, in his rendition of, the, of this uh, story that isn't found in the other two. I think it's important that what he put in there. But, but we know the story. You know, this, this young man, this, we call him the, the rich young ruler, comes running up to Jesus. And he kneels before him, and he says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus pays attention to him. He stops. He listens to him. As we saw in the story about Nathaniel in, James, or in John chapter 1, Jesus knows this guy. Unquestionably, he knows. He knows his heart. But he answers the question, he tells him, he tells him, and he lists, I think, six of the Ten Commandments. And, and says, you know, this is, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to be in order to inherit eternal life. And, and uh, the, the, the young ruler, he responds. He, he must have been encouraged by that because he says, well, I've been doing that since I was a young child. He's not a bad guy. He's, he's, he's been busy doing things that the Lord has told him to do for his entire life, almost. And that's where Mark adds something that is not found in the other two um, stories uh, of, the, of the rich young ruler. It says that Jesus looked at him and felt a love for him. I think that's interesting because Jesus saw something in this, in this man that he admired. He says he loved him. So, we know that, that Jesus knew about this guy and, and knew, his, under, knew his, his, his commitment that he had made, but he also knew that he had a problem. And that problem was uh, his love of his, his wealth, his, his money. Okay? So, Jesus then says to him, after he 
looked at him and, and, and loved him, he says, one thing you lack. He says, go and sell all, your, all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. That's his answer. And then he goes on and gives him a challenge. He says, come, follow me. His answer is, you know, you need to work on, on your, your love of, of possessions, your love of, of money, your love of things. But he also says, follow me. You know, that follow me is an interesting because, thing because Jesus said that to Philip, and he followed him. He said it to Peter and Andrew. They left their, they left their jobs and followed him. He said it to James and John. They left their jobs and followed Jesus. He said it to Matthew, and he stopped being a tax collector and followed Jesus. So him saying that to the young ruler is not, you know, that, he, he was calling him. He, he had something for him to do, but the rich young ruler wasn't ready. He went away sorrowful because he had uh, many possessions. The point I want to make here is this is a, I, I, want, I want this to be the call to all of us about our productivity. You know, we, some of us have been Christians for a long time. A long time. Does that mean that we don't need to continue working on, on becoming more product, productive? No, not at all. Uh, we, need to, we need to constantly be looking for things to improve on in, in our lives. Um, the rich young ruler, you know, he, he'd been doing this since he was a child, and yet Jesus says, you still have something to work on. You know, this kind of reminds me, I don't know if many of us have heard Dee Bowman preach, and, and if, you, if you have, you might have heard him make that, the illustration about the mirror that we see in James chapter 1. Have you ever heard him talk about looking in the mirror and seeing that blob of country butter on, the, on, the, on, our, on our chin? That's what I'm seeing here, is, is um, we need to look into that mirror and make note of that blob of country butter that we need to work on. Uh, and, and so all of us have some self-introspection that, that we need to do uh, to, to become more productive uh, as, as followers of, of Christ. Jan, was, I was talking to her yesterday, and she said, you know, as, as I get more experience, as I get older and I, and I learn more, you know, I actually see that blob, blob of country butter growing because she sees more things that she needs to work on. I thought that was a, a, a great comment. Um, we need to be looking in that mirror and we need to note the things that, that are there. You know, in James it talks about looking away from the mirror and forgetting it all. Well, we can't do that either. Uh, we, we've got to see that blob of country butter on our chin. So that's what I, I think we can learn from the rich young ruler. We, we can't get complacent. We're always looking to, to uh, improve uh, our productivity, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, no matter how new we are in the church, or no matter how long we've been um, a Christian. And the last thing I want to look at is the Christian virtues. Again, a very familiar passage that's found in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
The Christian virtues are essentially a blueprint to productivity. Have you ever thought of it that way? In other words, we're talking about the need to be productive, but in, in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, we're actually given a list of things to work on. You know, Peter is helping us out here. He's saying, here's, here's things to work on. Um, we know that the, uh, the foundation is faith. You know, that's what everything is added to. But then with, with, with you add to your faith moral excellence, and you add to, your moral, to, to moral excellence knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and so on and so on. These are things that we can work on. These are things that, that uh, are laid out for us to help us become the productive Christians that we need to be, that we want to be. And the, the, the prize is that if we do this, in verse 8 of the same chapter, it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren or unfruitful. You could say you could be productive <laughs> if you do these things. And so... I add this one in just because of, of the, uh, the, the, the blueprint that it gives us. Now, there are, there are plenty of other scriptures that, that encourage us to do the same. But I chose this one because it, it just gives us such a, a, an extensive list of things uh, to work on to help us to be the productive Christians that we need to be. So these are the lists. This is the list of things that I chose. It's not by any, any sense, a complete list uh, of things, but, but uh, the three parables, which point out how important it is to be productive uh, in our Christian life, um, the encouragement to continue to look at our lives uh, that, that we see in, in the, the rich young ruler because we might miss something if we're not looking, and then the, the blueprint to productivity, which is found in the Christian virtues. One thing that I have not done in any of this is listed specifics, things that we need to work on or can work on, because I think what I'm trying to say here, as far as productivity, is this is a personal thing. I look at myself, and I find things that I need to work on. It may or may not be the same thing that, that you need to work on. You know, The encouragement here is to... to all of us, to look at ourselves. What, what can we do to be more product, product, productive? Not easy for a Hoosier to say productive, but what are the things that we can look at uh, in our own lives to increase our productivity uh, for the Lord? You know, we're almost to the end of 2020, and I know everybody wants to say amen to that, but we've got a new year coming up, and 2021, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't really do the, uh, the New Year's resolution things, but maybe a lot of you do. Maybe this is something that you could add as, as a resolution. What can we do to in, increase or improve our productivity for the Lord in the, in the new year? Okay. I need to go back to that non-productive fourth grader. You know, um, I, I said no to the coach, but somebody must have pulled me aside 
I don't remember, it's been too long ago, but, but somebody must have pulled me aside and said, you know, you don't tell the coach no. And um, I, I, was, was, I remained on the team, and the next game, you know, I, I actually got put back into the game. I went into the game. And I remember scoring my first basket. I remember where I was on the court. I remember the ball going in. I even remember the referee. <laughs> but he was a member of the church in New Albany, so <laughs> he told me later he was as, as excited as I was uh, about that, that basket. But I remember that. And, um, and like I told you earlier, the team was pretty good. The, the, the uh, ribbon up there uh, was, was a ribbon that we all received because uh, the team won the, the county championship in, in New Albany. Uh, all the, the elementary schools, we, we were a pretty good team. Some of the kids that were on that team actually, when they got to high school, they played in the state championship game in Indiana. They were pretty good. That championship game that we played in, I scored a basket in that one too. Point is, I became productive, <laughs> even though I told the coach no at one point. Um, we can increase and become productive um, in, in the things that we do, and that includes uh, being, a, being a Christian. Um, what I want to th think about just for a second is what about us? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who has the uniform on, but for whatever reason, you've been kind of sitting at the end of the bench and, and not paying attention to the game. Well, you're among friends. If that describes you, you're among friends. Your teammates, your brothers and sisters in Christ care. And if, if, if you want to become productive, if you need prayers and you need support, you have that opportunity here this morning uh, to take advantage of that. There may be somebody here this morning that hasn't put the uniform on yet. In other words, being baptized for the remission of your sins, to become a Christian, to become a productive Christian. You know, there's no better opportunity than that right now, uh, this morning, uh, to do that. You know, that uniform that you put on when you become a Christian is a whole lot more rewarding and brilliant than that uh, gold, Lafayette Golden Bear uniform. A whole lot more. You need to put that uniform on if you haven't done it yet. You have that opportunity now. If we can help you in any way, come forward now as we stand and sing the invitation song.